0: Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. I'm going to start today right with a reading from this book called The Divine: The Law of Divine Compensation of Marianne Williams. I think this will get us started well. She says, when we think or say something negative, even if we believe that we don't really mean it, the thought carries creative energy. Every thought is a cause that creates an effect, and an undisciplined mind easily tempts into faithless and unloving thoughts is a huge detriment to success. You know, when I first read this, it kind of pissed me off a little bit. (laughs) Well, it did. (laughs) I'll explain, though. You know, the undisciplined mind. It sounds like someone was trying to shame me a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Remember when you were, um, oh, I don't know. I think the discipline at my house started when I was like four or five, remember? It's like, pick up your toys, put them back in the box. You know, we're not, this isn't a barn. You got to close the door. And I and I I'm, I'm sure you all were familiar with the rules, right? It's like keep your room clean and you know help me fold the laundry and you know on and on it went. And then when you were a teenager, did you all get the same story I did? As long as you're under my roof, yeah. right? Is that how it started? <laughs> so when I read this, the idea of a disciplined mind, I have to admit at first. I was a little like, oh great, so I'm gonna to talk to people about discipline today, and I'm gonna look out in this sea of beautiful faces and say, as long as you're under my roof, this is the way we're supposed to think, right? <laughs> well, I am gonna do that. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but I would like to point out that of course she's actually right. If we believe that our thoughts are creative, if we really believe that as we think, so it will happen unto us, then if we can exercise some discipline, if you will, some training around our own mind, if we can become more aware of what we're thinking and actually influence it to produce a better outcome, then why wouldn't we want to experience that growth? Even if it is, uh, you know, uh, earmarked under that category of self-discipline or doing something for my own good, why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I begin evolving myself into something that creates more of what I want to see on the planet? More love, more life, more joy, and more abundance. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But back to Marianne Williams and her caution. So what are these undisciplined thoughts? What are these things that we tend to think about ourselves and others to the detriment of the planet? And you know what? I think it starts right here. Have you noticed that you are perhaps harder on yourself than anyone else? Have you noticed that uh, if there's criticisms, criticisms to be made, Often you're the first ones at the party. Often you're the one that begins finding fault with yourself before anyone else says a word. Well, I managed to find a joke that relates to this in a way. In a way, anyway. We'll give it a try. A clueless young fellow with a few dreams and no aspirations happened upon an old lamp in the attic. While he was polishing it, a genie popped out. Thank you, kind sir, for releasing me from this old lamp. But I regret to say that you haven't encountered only a minor genie. I can only grant you one wish, and, and we'll see if I can even do it, said the genie. <laughs> well, that's wonderful, I, I guess, said the young man. I think what I'd really like to do is make a difference in the world with my one wish. He thought for a moment, and then he reached for an atlas. Here's a map of the Middle East the people who live in this area have been fighting for thousands of years. For my one wish, I would like to bring peace to this land. Well, the genie is a little caught off guard and is kind of hemming and hawing a little. Well, um, that's quite a wish, he says. But you see, these people, they've, they're involved in all that personal religious stuff. And uh, um, they've been fighting for such a long time. And um, uh, I'm just not even sure where to start. I'm afraid, I'm afraid you're going to have to make another wish. Well, okay, said the aimless youth. Then for my one wish, I would really like some direction in life. I'd like to feel important to really know once and for all that I'm capable and lovable. I'd like to know my purpose in life. The minor genie quickly thought for a moment and replied, "Um, let's take a look at those maps again. <laughs> I would like to suggest we're our own worst enemy on so many levels. We really have the power over ourselves, and yet we so often exercise it in ways that creates our own misery. Marianne Williamson devotes three whole chapters in this book. It kind of freaked me out at first. She devotes three chapters in this book to the things that we do wrong with our own thinking. That's more than any of the what I would think of as the more upbeat chapters in this book. And the reason is because negative thinking about ourselves, about our lives, and about others is pretty endemic. Where she starts is this idea of self-doubt. And she says that if we have the power to do good in the world, and if we have the power to do evil in the world here is where the results of it normally falls. In fact, she has this to say, spiritual growth involves the giving up of the stories of your past so that you and the universe can write a new one. I'm going to read that one more time. Spiritual growth involves giving up the stories of your past so that you and the universe can write a new one. What are the stories that we tell ourselves every day? You know, what happens so often, I think, is something, something perhaps out in the world happens. Maybe, we, uh, um, maybe someone that we love walks out on us. Maybe a, a job that we cared about lays us off. Maybe, uh, I don't know, you name it, something negative happens to us. And right away don't we start creating a story well beyond just the facts of the case, right? We start writing a story about those rotten people that did whatever to me, and we start writing a story about ourselves in the context of what happened. We start viewing ourselves maybe as less capable or a victim or whatever it is. We begin creating these stories. And my experience with a lot of people is the longer the time elapsed, the bigger the story gets, doesn't it? Suddenly it's grand drama, like from an opera or something, and we're picturing ourselves in the most critical and miserable terms around something that may have even happened a long time ago. Maybe an experience that's been been buried and over with ten years ago. Suddenly we're seeing ourselves through those same eyes, picturing ourselves as unlovable or unworthable, unworthy, or or incapable or not good enough, or or whatever it is. Well, Mary Ann Williamson is right. If that's our story. We can expect more of it in the world. If I have a story about myself as being unworthy or unlovable, if I picture myself as marginally employable or or only good for certain kinds of jobs or that my salary range is confined to a certain amount, if that's my story about myself, why wouldn't the universe treat us just like that? Of course it's going to. So one of the places that we can start with this whole issue, I think, is allowing ourselves in the universe to create a new story. Now, we don't have to rewrite the past, right? We don't have to ignore what happened. Oftentimes, some of the negative things that happen provide us useful information for moving forward. I mean, thank heavens for our power of recall. It keeps us from falling into the same hole over and over again. But I would challenge us... To even write a new story, not just to say, well, that needn't happen again, but to look at what stories we've created around the negativity in our life and see if that's what we want to carry forward, or if we should have a more hopeful story, a story that puts that that minor thing that happened, and sometimes not so minor of a thing, but to put that in its true perspective of a lifetime, and where do we want to go from there? In addition to this idea of self-doubt, Marianne Williamson also talks about anger as something that will absolutely keep us from having the kind of life we want to live. And uh, she puts it this way. She says, I'm not denying that there are many understandable reasons why we get angry. Perhaps you find yourself in debt, underemployed or unemployed through no fault of your own, Someone may have unfairly fired you, lied to you about a superior, stolen money from you, or exploited you for financial gain, and despite trying to be as responsible as possible, you were simply swept aside by the circumstances beyond your immediate control. Those things can happen, and it is natural to feel angry when they do. Even then, however, love is the answer. Without love, the universe cannot program itself to compensate for whatever might have been taken from us. Now I gotta read this one again. This one kind of bowled me over. It got like the double highlight. <laughs> Even then, however, love is the answer. Without love, the universe cannot program itself to compensate for whatever may have been taken from us now this is a concept a spiritual concept that we're probably not aware of are you aware that it is god's good pleasure to always always give you what you want and desire and really the only thing that can keep us from that experience is our own thinking. So what she's saying here is when we focus on the anger, when we focus on the betrayal, when we focus on hatred, when we focus on uh, holding a grudge or whatever it is, we're preventing the universe from making us whole again. Because it's our own consciousness full of, of rage, full of indignation, full of a, um, self-righteousness somehow about, I've been wronged. I have in my correct feeling of, be I should be angry. And yet it is that same power, that same visceral, closed-hearted, clenched fist kind of emotion the universe says, well, he needs more of that. This is what his prayer is. And so it is literally ourselves, when we're feeling that anger, especially when it's held on for a long period of time. I mean, anger can actually be useful in allowing us to make changes in our lives in the immediate frame. I mean, that's good. Sometimes anger is just a call to make a change and we make it and then things are good again. But when we hold on to it beyond its usefulness, we are simply preventing the universe making us whole again. We're keeping ourselves in the role of victim, of someone who's had it done to us. I'm going to tell you a a story that I'm actually not very proud about. Um, they, They tell ministers that we shouldn't talk from the platform until we've worked through something. We'll see. You'll be the judge. If I turn purple, I haven't quite worked through it yet. So about 15 years ago, maybe 16, I was trying to figure out exactly when it happened. Um, I was let go from the telephone company. It was the, the major job I had before this one. And I was six months short of retirement, being eligible for a, a, a retirement pension and a, and a package and, and benefits that would go on through the end of my life, including medical coverage and things like that. It was part of the contracts that had been negotiated. And I got to tell you, I was kind of pissed off. I'm thinking, my God, if they had let me work for just six more months, I would have had medical coverage for life. I would have had a pension. There were some other things around 40K benefits and things that stopped. It really kind of hit me hard. And then a friend of mine, I say friend of mine, took out some paper and did a net present value of assuming that I lived to be like 90, of what that was worth, it was close to $300,000, not even counting, not knowing how much medical benefits would cost, right? And so when he told me that, of course, I was like fuming. I mean, so how am I doing? Am I I purple or just a little pink? All right. Well, I got to tell you, for six months... If someone would ask me about the phone company, because of course I wasn't working there anymore, but people didn't necessarily know that, right? So over the course of six months, all my friends and people that I don't see all the time was, how are you, how's the telephone company doing? And it was as though they cleverly had taken a fishing rod and sunk the hook right into my heart and reeled me in and I would start telling the story about how they had done to me and cheated me out of a quarter. And I liked using the phrase a quarter of a million dollars (laughs) because it sounded so big and like I'd been such a victim, right? Those were the most miserable six months of my life. And there wasn't anything financially wrong in my life. I mean, I've always been very good with money. I had a lovely savings account. And they were actually giving me six months of wages. I had plenty of time to find another job, right? It wasn't like I was hurting, except I was hurting myself. There wasn't anything to be done about it. It just was. I was even doing... And this is the one that's really hard for me to say, to own up to. Here's a little confession for you. I was even doing mean little malicious things as though somehow I would get even. Like when people, when people would get a cell phone, like if you got a cell phone, Lexi, I'd say, you know, you don't need your landline anymore, right? Let's, let's disconnect that. Right? One less company for the telephone company, right? And when people would be telling me there were openings uh, for work at the telephone company, I'd be talking him out of it, right? Because of what a horrible... Pl- I mean, I was terrible about it. And, and did the phone company care? The phone company didn't even know, right? It's not a person, the, right? I wasn't doing anything that was going to somehow get even with this giant corporation. Who was suffering? Yeah, I was the only one suffering from my anger. And I gotta tell you, anger, when it is unexpressed and undealt with, comes out in all kinds of crazy ways. I was having trouble with my primary relationship at that time, I was having trouble in school, I had gone back to school, that was when I first started ministerial school, and I was having trouble concentrating on my studies, and and wasn't, I mean, I'm used to being kind of an A student from college, and gosh, here I was in ministerial school, and I was getting B's and C's in my first quarter, It took me six months and I had to do a burial. I buried the telephone company. I took my little magnetic badge that they had failed to collect for me and I took my severance package letter that came, you you know, that said what my severance package was and I took a few other things that represented the telephone company and I cut them into little pieces and I burned them uh, down at the beach and then I shoveled sand over it And I said to myself, I gave myself explicit permission for that to be the end of it. Because what I really recognized was that this was eating away at me. It did no earthly good purpose on the planet, and it was consuming me. i got to tell you, that took six months, and it took nearly another six months before people would say, how's the telephone company? And I still wouldn't feel like that. That hook was sunk right in and reeled in. Sometimes these painful occurrences will take a while. But I must tell you, as long as you hold on to fear, as long as you hold on to anger, as long as that negativity is surrounding your heart, you will not be able to receive love, good financial abundance, as long as that is eating away at you, it's as though, it's as though, and and I know, I know I didn't do it on purpose. I know I didn't think I was hurting myself, but what I'm doing is I'm saying, no, I'm pissed off. I have the right to it. All you good people, all you love, all of you abundance, stay at arm's length so I can just keep being mad. Oh my gosh. It was one of my greatest life lessons that I offer for you today. If there is anything that you can do to make amends, if there's anything you can do to allow your heart to go back to its natural state of openness and receptivity, if there's anything you can do to forgive, to work through anger, to bury the past, please, please do it for yourself. The last topic of these three chapters that we're covering today is on another favorite of mine, guilt and shame. And I simply want to tell you a story that I, I think you can identify with. Uh, I'm not the best shopper on the planet. Daniel likes to shop a bit more than I do. And so sometimes uh, we find ourselves in places like the Lloyd Center. And he'll be like in Myron Frank's. Well, it's not even called Myron Frank's anymore, right? It's Macy's. And i that shows you how much of a shopper I am. So, so he's in there. Uh, I don't even remember what he was looking at. And I'm out in the food court right? Where, where people like me belong, <laughs> where it's safe out in the food court. And, uh, you know, I'm having a Pepsi and sitting there. And I noticed that there's uh, probably about six tables over. There's a woman and a little girl, and they're not doing so well. They've had kind of a tough day. And the little girl is at that age where they get kind of fussy in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, kind of just, it was probably nap time. Well, the mom had gotten some food for them, and she was trying to set up, and there was the tray, and there was the little girl, and the mom is trying to get probably a sippy cup or something, you know, out of different places. And the little girl reaches for the tray, lifts up one side of it, and it just simply all slides off onto the floor. All their food, all their beverages, and I got to tell you, my initial reaction was simply... (gasps) And you know what, even as I was doing it, I heard the mother go, Ugh. and even as the mother did it, I heard about three or four other tables go. Ugh. And then I sweared it was one of those things where the universe slows down, where at one second takes an hour, or it feels like it, and it was like. And then this sweet little voice of the little girl very simply said, oopsie. (laughs) And everybody started laughing. It was like perfect. The mother laughed. I started laughing. And what I realized was the little girl had absolutely gotten that she had done something less than useful. (laughs) But I also got the little girl didn't think she'd been bad. She didn't think that the world somehow had gotten off kilter by this, right? She hopefully kind of learned from that experience, right? There was her soda laying on the floor too, right? It was a whoopsie. But what was that intake of breath? Why did the 10 or so adults within viewing of this all go, (sighs) it's the little thing called shame and blame. We are used to finding who did that thing and doing whatever we can in terms of shame and blame. And often it's our own self, too, by the way. Shame and and blame isn't always directed outward. It is us, I think, in our desire to have things go better, to, to fix blame and make a big deal out of it. I would like us to take a different look at this because I think... In the mind of God, every mistake, no matter how big or how minor, is a whoopsie. We like to think of our affairs as being oh so important. We like to think of the, of the things we do as critical to the existence of life on this planet. But I got to tell you, whether you lose a job or, or whether a marriage goes sour, whether... Um, You know, whether you drive your car into the swimming pool or any number of other crazy things that people right in this room have done, in the mind of God, they are simply an oopsie. And we learn from it and we move on. And I would really hate to see shame and blame stop anyone in this room from achieving their goals. And yet, when we hold on to blaming ourselves and others, when we put ourselves in that role of the judgment queen or king, right? Right? was not that one of the things that uh, got you about your parents when they would kind of stand and you should have done this and you should have, right? No one likes that. It's not useful. And once again, it may not be obvious, but who suffers? We suffer. The one standing in judgment is really the one that suffers. We're the one closing our heart through judgment. We're the one that's closing our ability to receive more of God's blessing because we're holding that that bizarre kind of idea of shame and blame for someone else. Well, I want to assign you perhaps the strangest homework that I've ever given this group of people in my life. I would like you to invoke the whoopsie principle for yourselves this week. I know we're all going to do something stupid this week. In fact, if, in fact, if the week starts on Sunday, I've already got two on myself already. So when you find yourself doing something that worked out less than what you would like it to, when you make a mistake, I would like you to just smile inwardly to yourself and say, whoopsie. Now, there may be occasions where you don't want to do it out loud, and that's okay. You can do it with the inward voice if you like. But let's not dwell on our mistakes. Let us understand that we can upset all kinds of things, and they're just things. We get do-overs whoopsie. I'm going to close with something that we haven't done in a while, and, I, and I'm sorry if I'm going to make us be a little bit late here, uh, but we don't do responsive readings very often. And the reason we don't, I discovered as I was going this, over this last night with myself, and, and I think you'll find out why here in a minute. Oh, At least I'll point it out if it turns out true. So what I'm going to do is I'm simply going to read a sentence, and I would like you to read it back to me. I am created in God's image, whole and perfect. Yeah, see, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. I bet I sounded just as flat as you did. Let us try it again. Let us try it as though we actually believed it. Let us try it as though it's who we are. I am created in God's image. I'm whole and perfect. Oh. Thank you. I am loved and loving. I am loved and loving. I am rich and deserving. I am rich and deserving. I have everything I need and want. I have everything I need and want. Did you notice that one? We're back down to flat again. (laughs) I caught us all. It's so fun. (laughs) Now think about this for a minute. What we're describing is what's spiritually true for us. There may be, as they say, differences as contents have have shifted. It may be that you're right now not feeling that you have everything that you need or want. But let us try it from the spiritual perspective. Let us try knowing that that intention for us can be real. Let us try doing it from the knowledge that all the love we could want All of the the joy that we could want, all of the goodness that we could want, intentionally is ours. I have everything that I need and that I want. I have everything that I need and that I want. The indwelling God works through me every day. The indwelling God works through me every day. I am love. I am love. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There is this thing called God, and what I know about God, wow, it's infinite. It is the allness and the sweetness of the universe. It is that that power of creating and recreating and creating again all of the goodness that could ever be desired. This is God, and I know it's there for me. I know that the, the seeds of perfection are absolutely planted within my own heart and my own mind, and I know that I have the willingness to have some self-discipline around those seeds. I recognize in my own heart that I am capable, that I am lovable, that I am the very things that I wish to see more of in life. I let go of the things that might cause my heart to close, whether they be hatred or self-doubt, whether they be guilt or shame. I let them go and recognize that I am whole. And as it is true for me on this day, I know it is true for each person within the hearing of my voice, that each person here and beyond has that same capability, that each person here was made whole and perfect in the mind of God now and forever, and that with the discipline of our own minds, we can receive that level of goodness that same wholeness and perfection that we see in the night sky or in the vast ocean can be the wholeness and perfection of our own lives. This is what I know for this group. They are rich. They are powerful. They are filled with love. And I'm simply grateful for this, grateful for the, the truth so clearly made plain to me on this day. I release this prayer into the action and activity of the lot itself. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for being here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate.